Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz saxophonist Ron Apria. He grew up in Astoria, New York, got his own alto sax at the age of 16, and started taking lessons in a studio across the street from Radio City Music Hall. Being so close to New York, he got some of the best education in the world going at the famed Birdland, seeing the likes of Count Basie and Blakey's Jazz Messengers. His latest 2015 CD pays tribute to John Lennon and the Beatles, and it's an ode to spending some time in the studio years ago with his friend, John Lennon. He's jammed with legends like Woody Herman, Tito Puente, Billy May, Skitch Henderson, and Lionel Hampton, and he has stories to back all of it up. So please dig this interview, my friends. Thank you for taking some time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, good. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm just going to start off here real quick and ask you, what has been going on with you lately? She was uh, doing a lot of uh, lot of writing. I'm uh, uh, working. Uh, I do it. Uh, I actually have a big band that um, that I put back together about three years ago, and I've been doing uh, a steady gig every um, uh, on the last Sunday of each month at a jazz club up here called Trumpets. It's uh, it's in Montclair, New Jersey. And so uh, I've been, you know, spending a lot of time writing and and and, uh, and performing with that band, and of course that's that's led to some other venues. And so I've been kind of busy with the big band lately. And my wife and I, my wife's a jazz singer, Angela De Niro, and uh, we perform uh, regularly with with a small group, uh, rhythm section, and uh, myself and and her. And she also sings with the big band as well. So, so we're doing a, a little bit of each, and um, um, not as much freelancing as I used to do. But on occasion, I'll pick up a gig and and do some freelancing as well. And so, will Angela. But for, for the most part, we have our own our own set thing, and we we've been fortunately uh, busy, uh, you know, um, you know, playing with 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 both bands and uh, getting ready actually to to put another album together for Angela. Uh, it's been a been a few years since she's recorded, so. We're, we have some new new material, and you know we'll, we'll be back in the studio shortly. Wonderful. So, talk to me about this album, the tribute to John Lennon and the Beatles. How did this come about, and how do you feel about it? I put my heart and soul into that project. Uh, I, it came about. I worked with John Lennon back in 1974. I did an album with John called Walls and Bridges, and I spent uh, you know uh, about about three in, in, intense weeks. With, with with John up uh, up at the record plant uh, doing this thing, and um, became became quite friendly with John, and uh, I, I loved working with him. He's he's a sweetheart to work with. It was a new uh, kind of a new venture for me, being a jazz player. It was a, a, a genre that I wasn't as as comfortable with as I would have liked to. But uh, there were five horns, um, me and, and and four other horn players, and um, and and we put out this. Um, uh, amazing album for John, and he did well with it. And, um, and I've been thinking about about uh, doing a Lennon tribute since then. This is 1974, so it took me a little while to put it together. But a few things happened that kind of inspired me to uh, to go ahead and, and, and start working on it. You know? So talk to me about your life growing up in a story in New York. How did you get involved in jazz and music? Hmm. Well, I, I really, uh, you know, I've been asked that question. Uh, a few times, and I'm, I'm, I hesitate because it's hard to. It's, it's been a while, you know. And I, I think, I, I think probably um, the, the area of a story where I grew up uh, had a lot to do with. I, uh, my, my, my house, the house I was living in, was about about 25 uh, or 30 feet from from this um, from this Baptist church. It's kind of a uh, uh, um, an integrated neighborhood. 
and uh, and I was kind of raised on on listening to gospel music, you know, especially in the, in, in in the warm weather in the summer times. I remember my window would be open and air windows would be open, and this gospel music would be coming right into my house every Sunday all day long. And I think that probably had a lot to do with uh, um, steering me in, in in that direction, uh, jazz. Um, the first, strangely, the first solo album uh, that I ever did, or the first solo performance, recorded performance that I ever did, happened to be a gospel album as well. A guy named Jesse Watson Burns, and uh, I was featured on that album. So I've had uh, I've had uh, roots uh, in, in in the gospel thing. And um, I think uh, that that probably was my... I, I mean, I would get goosebumps listening to, to, to that gospel choir every Sunday. And I think that probably had a lot to do with it. I think some of it you're born with. Um, and, and I think certain things trigger it. And, and I think that that might have done it. And my, my mother was also a, a fine singer. And she would be singing all day long, doing her housework and singing along with her records. And she'd be listening to Sinatra and Jimmy Roselli and singing along. Um and uh, so I was, uh, I was, you know, kind of surrounded with music, you know, from as far back as I can remember. Um, but the jazz influence, I think, probably started with the gospel thing. And, uh, and then I remember as a kid listening to, to Pete Fountain and really enjoying uh, his clarinet playing. Um, and, of course, that led me to Benny Goodman, who was another great clarinet player. And, and of course, that led me to the big bands, because Benny Goodman always had a big band, or most of the time he did anyway. And of course, then that that that's, that led me into the direction of Duke Ellington and Basie and uh, Woody Herman. So it was, uh, you know, things just evolved that way, I guess. Yeah. So was it always music that was going to be in your future, or did you have other dreams growing up? Um, I liked baseball. I was a pretty good baseball player. I toyed with the idea of uh, of, of being a professional player at, at one point. Uh, that that didn't work out. <laughs> And, uh, and and it, it was running parallel with the music. And music was always there, uh, but there were there were other interests as well. And baseball was one. I, I also loved carpentry, and I was uh, you know always always building things. Um, but uh, I think the music thing probably just just outlasted everything else, and just uh, just became uh, I, I can't even explain why. I, I guess as I as you improve as a musician. And and you and you're playing with better better bands and better situations and things start evolving and you start feeling good about your musical achievements. That 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 uh maybe has something to do with it. I don't know. But there there's a point where uh, you wanna you just wanna play music and everything else kinda kinda takes a back seat. And um and that happened to me probably in, in my late teens. So talking about your teens, you get an alto sax at 16, you start taking lessons across from Radio City Music Hall. That had to be a pretty bespeckled kind of thing to go to. I, well, I think I think I was probably, by that time, by the time I took those lessons, that was my first teacher, a guy named Ted Grant, who who was doing the shows at Radio City, and he had a studio right across the street, um, which I, I, I started doing. He was my first private teacher. And, uh, yeah, that had a big influence on me. And he... Um, he was big on on tone, uh, and he um, he spent a lot of time with me on on developing a a, a real nice sound for the alto saxophone. Um, and, uh, and then I went on to study with, with teachers at, after him. Uh, he was not a, a jazz teacher, and uh, I was kind of uh, leaning toward the, uh, toward the jazz things. And I also decided to get into my doubles, which was flute and clarinet. But but I, I studied with uh, a, a great teacher named Bob Tricarico. Uh, who had just gotten off the road with uh, uh, um, Ray Anthony's band, and uh, 
and uh, Louis Freeman's band. He's a great teacher and a, and a great player. And uh, but Bobby was one of these guys that uh, that played his doubles real well, and he was he had made his way into the New York studio scene, and uh, he was pushing me into that direction as well. So I started studying flute and clarinet uh, with him, and, and later with with Harold Bennett and some other some other classical teachers for for, for the for the doubles. Probably in the, in the early '80s, I gave Phil Woods a call. I was reading the, the liner notes on one of his albums, and there was some stuff in it that, that uh, really intrigued me. And I, I I gotta I gotta I gotta pick his brain on this. So I I called him up. He had just gotten back from Europe. He was living in France for about ten years, and he was living in the Poconos. And I would drive up to the Poconos and pick his brain, and he showed me. Some, some really in, interesting and amazing things. So I was always fortunate to have um, you know, have good teachers from from Ted Grant to, to Carrico to Phil Woods to uh, you know Harold Bennett and uh, Frank Foster a leader. So uh, yeah, that that uh, that that really uh, helped shape uh, what I'm doing now. You know. Well, and early influences that shaped you. You were fortunate to see some cool acts at the uh, Birdland Jazz Club. You saw Count Basie. And Blakey's Jazz Messengers. That had to be a big thing for for you to see at that time in your life. Yeah, I was I was kind of raised at. <laughs> I spent <laughs> a lot of years in Birdland. I you know I lived in Astoria, which is the stones throw away, and I used to run into the city all the time. Um, and Birdland was my favorite club. Uh, there was something about the acoustics in there, and you could sit in in the, in the gallery and, and spend a whole night there and have a beer. So it was kind of cool, and um, I got to see all the great bands. Uh, you know. Uh, the Basie band was my favorite big band, of course, uh, and he would, he, his band would come in there and spend about a month in there around the holiday season, and I would be there just about every night, uh, which is where I met Frank Foster. You know, Frank was was arranging and playing with with that band uh, in those days, and uh, you know, Frank uh, Frank and I became became friends. In fact, it was funny how how I became friends with Frank. That they they had a photographer, this uh, this chick photographer that would come around and ask you for you know to take a picture. For a fee, I guess four or five bucks, whatever it was, and um, so I, one of one of the one of the guys I was with suggested that, um, that maybe she can get Frank Foster to come over and take a picture with us. He was already an international star, and we were just kids. And um, and she leaves, and uh, I figure that's the end of that. And after the set, she comes walking back with Frank Foster, and Frank sits down at the table, and uh, you know she takes the picture, and then we started chatting, and, we, and I became a lifelong friend with Frank Foster. I was. That was my introduction to him, and uh, I spent most of my career. Um, you know, um, you know, Frank was part of almost everything I ever did. After that, it was pretty amazing. When he left the Basie band, I played with his band, and and I would just go over his house, and we'd play duets, and we'd exchange ideas, and he would he would lay all his scores on me, all his music, and uh, um, it was kind of, kind of, kind of a uh, uh, I don't know uh, my 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 guardian angel, I think. You know. Yeah. You know, a lot of those old cats always have good things and leave behind really good things. Is there any advice that he gave you that really resonates still with you? Frank gave me so much advice. Um, yeah, I remember my first tour with, with Lionel Hampton's band was in 1969. And um, and Frank spent about an hour on the phone with me um, telling me all the do's and don'ts of the road because he had been on the road for so many years. And, um, yeah, he shared uh, all his road stories with me in the uh, and uh and gave me a lot of a lot of really good advice that that um that that, that helped me with uh, with the grind of being on the road you know so you played with so many people too you know Woody Herman Tito Puente 
uh, Lionel Hampton. What did, what did you learn getting on the road? What was the level of professionalism that you kind of soaked from them and, and how they approached the bandstand? Well, they all had the same thing in common, um, whether it be Woody or, or Hamp or, or Tito. You know, when they got on the bandstand, they, uh, uh, they were up there, you know, uh, ready to go every night. You never hear them. I, I never heard... Uh, any of those guys really have a bad night. I mean, they're very consistent. They're very, uh, um, I, I think that's probably the word consistency. I mean, they all had that in common where they would just, uh, they would light up. You know, we'd be on the bus sometimes for for a day, you know, a day and a half, you know, uh, and you get off the bus and everybody's tired. Everybody's looking to to crash, you know, and find a room somewhere and go to sleep and have say, okay, we're going to have rehearsal, guys. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, and we'd be you know get off the bus and uh, and we'd be having a rehearsal before the gig. He was uh, very audience conscious and, and 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 Woody was kind of the same way. You know, uh, they they were guys that uh, they they strove for perfection all the time. And uh, and that I guess that's one of the things that, that I learned from from the, from these masters. You know. So you know, over your career, you you, you write, you arrange, you perform. You've been around for a long time. What has been the key to your longevity? You still obviously have a very deep passion for making and composing. What's been your secret, or what's just been your your method? You know what I I, I think the key to longevity uh, is is just your, your your love for what you're doing. That's the big motivator for me. I mean, I just uh, I get excited uh, as as excited today hearing good music as I did the very first time I heard a, a band. For me, that's that's the um, motivating force behind everything it's the music itself um you know the accomplishments those are all good things they 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 they, they come with you know with, with you know with the deal but uh, uh for me it's always the music and uh, whether i'm sitting here writing a, a new arrangement which i i'm still constantly writing new material and exploring old things and fixing things and making things work and and creating new 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 musical situations. But for me, that's that's the that's the thing that motivates me. It's I mean, playing gigs is fun, and it's always nice to be up on a bandstand and and turning on an audience too. But um, for me, it's the, it's the music and it's the musicians. Uh, it's, it's, it's the uh, camaraderie and it's the whole the whole lifestyle. I I, uh, I don't. I mean, it's just something that you don't get tired of. It's just it's, it's evolving all the time, and it's, it's it's you know it's it's a, it's a constant challenge. There's new challenges all the time. You know, I think most of us are only as good as those that we look up to. So I want to know, who were your jazz heroes? You played with a lot of what the world would consider heroes, but for you personally as a player and a, and a human being, who has moved you the most? Well, there were, uh, I never had um, uh, uh, one person who uh, who was my idol. I, I, I loved so many people. Charlie Mariano, I went through a phase where I, I couldn't stop listening to his stuff. Um, I loved, uh, of course, Charlie Parker and uh, Eric Dolphy. Later, I, I fell in love with Eric Dolphy's. Uh, during the '60s, uh, music started changing, and there was a lot of modal-style, high-energy playing going on. And Eric Dolphy, Coltrane. I, I, I went through a, a whole period, a ten-year period, of being buried in Coltrane's music. Now I'm back, I'm back closer to bebop. We're back inside, <laughs> most of us. And uh, so Phil Woods, I loved uh, and, and respected, and. Uh, Became good friends with Phil as well. So those those guys, Sonny Stitt, uh, you know, I still love listening to, to his music. Getz was a great great player. I loved listening to Getz, of course, Dizzy and Miles and 
those are the people I spent most of my time, Monk. You know, those are people I, I listened to growing up. Well, let me ask you, you know, you, you saw a lot of shows at Birdland, and probably in, in the entire world there's probably no better place, or one of the top places would be Birdland. But let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and kind of go into that fantasy realm and see somebody that you never got to see live, who would you have wanted to have caught live? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that. I, I think... Um, uh, maybe uh, maybe Louis Armstrong. Although I did play with Louis one night when he was retired, kind of uh, toward the end of his career. When I was with Hamspan, he sat in with us one night and we did "Hello Dolly." So it was the only time I ever I ever, I ever played with Louis Armstrong. So I think probably I, I would like to have seen some uh, Louis when he was in his prime. Yeah, yeah, that would have been rich. This is a general question. You've dedicated your life to the jazz craft, so let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? Well, it's a great, it's a great um, vehicle for for expression, for for being creative. I find it uh, challenging and, and, and satisfying in just about every way. Uh, it just makes the most sense to me. Um, you know, not that I, you know, I'm insensitive to other genres. There are there are many other genres that I love. My son happens to be a very fine classical violinist, and um, and so I appreciate. I have an appreciation for classical music as well. Um, you know, it's really hard to say. It just—it always—it just always hit me right from the from the first time I heard Pete Fountain improvising on the clarinet. I said, "That's what I want to do." And who, who the heck knows why? You know. But let me ask you this about fans. You've played for so many fans. Many fans have heard your music on um, on on albums. But let me ask you this: Is there a fan compliment or something special someone said to you that you really remember? Well, um, gee whiz, that's again. Let me. I'm gonna have to think about that. Um, yeah, I, I guess um, you appreciate all the, all the compliments. It's always um, it's always a good thing to hear positive things about about what you're doing because most of the times we, we're never really sure. And I, I speak for many of us, and if not all of us, uh, we're never 100 percent sure what we're doing. Uh, is, any, is anybody gonna like it? You know you. You, you, you're playing you're playing stuff um, that you're creating a lot of times uh, on the spot, and uh, is anybody but me gonna gonna like this? Um, and, it's, and it's kind of the same thing when you when you put out an album. You know, I I, I get these ideas for these productions, and and uh, and I I sit down, I write those arrangements, and I and I do what I have to do to to, to get it to where I want it to be. And then when it's when it's done, you know, you always have that that fear. Uh, will anybody like this? Uh, so when you do get a review, I, you know what? I I think probably the compliment that I appreciated the most was a review that I got in Downbeat for this for this last album that I did. I was uh, I was a little bit worried that because uh, uh, I used the string section, and we all know what happened to Charlie Parker and Cannonball and Gets when I used strings. They get a lot of critics pan them. So I was I was a little bit concerned about that, not enough to stop me because this is what I was hearing. So I, I went and wrote for, for a string section. Um, so when the review and downbeat came out, that was like holy smokes! I couldn't believe it. I got a four star review, and um, that I think uh, might might be um, for me uh, maybe the, the best compliment I've ever got as a, as an artist. Right on. So, you know, I have an encyclopedia of jazz names. It's quite thick, and I can go through and just, you know, just catch up on people, discover new artists from way back in the day. When the world comes across your name, when, when your name is in the book, uh, 
and when they look back on your career, how do you want the world to remember what you've done for jazz? Well, I want to, I want to, I want it to be remembered in a, in a positive light. Um, uh, of course, there's not everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think um, you know. Um, um, I mean, with people like like, like Charlie Parker and, uh, and and Eric Dolphy and so many other people that I mentioned, so many you know absolute geniuses on their instruments. Not, not too many people are going to be on, you know, on that level where, where they were. So, so I don't expect that. But uh, I would like to be uh, remembered as um, as somebody who made a contribution and uh, you know created um, <clears throat> created some music that that some people benefited from you know and, and and maybe added something different whether it be through my arrangements or, or or certain bands that I put together and certain performances that that something positive happened to them from 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 my music that would be the way I, and I'd like to remember this and I think we all. Uh, I, I remember when when they asked Miles what what inspired him to play. He said what inspired him to play was that he wanted to be on the bandstand alongside Charlie Parker. He wanted to be a peer of Charlie Parker, and I think that's pretty much what we all want. And uh, yeah. um, so that, I hope that answers your question. It does for sure. And I have one more for you. Everyone has a version of who you are: your family, your friends, uh, your fans, business associates. But tell me who you think you are. When you wake up, you face the day, you have a perception of who you are. Who are you? I think the first thing that comes to my to, um, to my mind when I wake up in the morning is, is my wife and my and my family. That, that that would have to be you know right on top of the list. Right beneath that is what can I do today <laughs> musically? <laughs> you know that's gonna that's gonna. Um, you know what, what can I do new? In fact, I was before I got on the phone with you. I'm sitting here. Uh, writing out uh, uh, a solo for one of my students. I, I only have a few students now. I don't teach like I used to have a gang of private students, but I'm down to about two students now. And I have one kid who's who's a really talented young man, and he's uh, he's uh, uh, taking his jazz nisma. It's like a state test uh, through the school systems, and um, he's learning how to improvise. And I'm sitting here writing him a solo uh, on on I've got rhythm changes, you know. So. <laughs> So this is what I do. This is, you know, like I get up in the morning and I, and I, if it's not that, it'll be, it'll be, um, you know, I have my recording studio in my house and uh, I'll, I'll be putting a project together to record or writing music or writing some arrangements for my wife. But it's all, it's all about music. At this stage of my life, that's pretty much, that's it. It's my family and, and, and music. And, um, and it's, it's nice to be able to focus on just two things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Ron, thank you for opening up. Thank you for your time, and most certainly thank you for all of the music you've given us. Well, thank you, and I appreciate uh, sitting here chatting with you, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ron for his time and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, or for all things Neon Jazz, the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.